Hello, and welcome to the Island Stories podcast. I'm your host, Harriet Hadfield. Three years ago, I came home to the island and started a new life, which really got me thinking. Each and every one of us living here has an island story. Last season, we spoke to some wonderful guests, each with an extraordinary story to tell. And this year will be no different. So let me introduce this week's guest, Shirley Robertson, OBE, a sailing hero to many, including me. She's won not one, but two Olympic gold medals and is now the face and voice of sailing on TV and with her own very successful series, a fellow podcaster. She's an unbelievably busy lady traveling the globe, covering the sport of sailing. Just back from Alicante, we are so grateful she's made time to speak to us on the podcast. Hey, Shelley, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. It's so nice to be here. It feels slightly weird, though, because I'm very much used to be asking the questions, not answering them. But it's great to see you again, Harriet. We we go back a long way. We do. Well, I'll try and be gentle with you. Well, quite gentle. But the first question, really easy. We always ask it on the podcast. Very simply, why the island? I'd always had a bit of a connection with the island. A lot of my equipment, particularly for that first Olympic gold in Sydney, was made here. I mean, it attracts incredibly smart, bright, talented people and craftsmen. So my my carbon masts were made here, my foils. So I, I came and went a bit. Early January 2000, I split up with my boyfriend on the mainland and I came to stay with my friend on the island who had a box room. It's not the most convenient place to live, <laughs> i got to say, when you're in the heat of an Olympic campaign. But I immediately felt like the island wrapped a warm arm around me and became part of my campaign and my life. So I I stayed. It's quite a long time ago now. Well, we're so lucky to have you. So just tell us, who is your island family? Where do you live? What, what does it look like, island life, for you? I live in Cowes, just up the hill from the squadron. And so we have an amazing view, a rather drafty house, but an, an incredible <laughs> view. And every winter comes and I'm like, we're going to sell this house. <sighs> And the summer comes and, and I love it, you know, eating breakfast on the deck, looking out on a view which is always different, night and day. It's so busy and hectic, the soul, and I, I absolutely love that. I have two children, the twins, they're 16 and a half, they go to ride. Um, my daughter fully embraced school life. She, you know, she's in the choir. She's always got a lead part in the play. She wants to be a human rights lawyer. You know, she's absolutely got her money's worth out of school. Uh, my son is a big sailor. He loves to sail. He's a foiling windsurfer and is never happier than when he's getting wet. Island life for them growing up on the island and particularly, you know, I think, you know, you've travelled a lot for your work. How important was the island in giving them that kind of stable childhood? Well, you're bringing young children up here. It's it's a blast, isn't it? it? Particularly when they're small. There's so much to do. It feels really safe. And I think you hit the nail on the head there. I was traveling a lot. Life was always a bit chaotic, but they remained here. And that gave me comfort, actually, that they were having a good life, even if at times I was probably a bit absent. So I described you in the introduction as a sailing hero to many. And I mean, you know, Really, you, uh, contemporary of, of Ben Ainsley as well, you were two sailors that really put us on the map for Olympic sailing. And now we're such a dominant force as a country, but it was quite new and very, very exciting when you were doing the Olympics. We transitioned the time in British sport where we got a bit of funding. And, you know, I always remember going to that, particularly at 96 Olympics in Atlanta. We came back, I mean, the whole British 
team, not just sailing. We came back with hardly any medals. That was the low point, really, in British sport. I mean, you think what it's like now. And after that, lottery funding was introduced, and we saw particularly the technical sports, rowing, cycling, sailing. We were just ready for that that injection of it's almost like a fertilizer to you know to let the plants grow and by the time we got to Sydney those technical sports I mean really just I've read interviews where you talk about the first Olympics that you did and how disappointed you were did you always know that potential that you had I didn't grow up thinking you know I want to be I want to be an Olympic gold medalist because I guess when I was growing up there wasn't Olympic in sailing for women so it just really wasn't on my radar. Well incredibly you were the first British woman to win two consecutive gold medals at Olympic Games not just in sailing but the whole thing which seems extraordinary now when we look at our medal hall every every four years. Exactly I mean I think that's indicative because British sport was pretty underfunded. There wasn't anyone in sailing really to look up to female role models. How did it feel standing on the podium in Sydney in 2000, that first medal? And it was a single-handed medal, so it was your medal. It wasn't a team thing, so something quite unique. I guess I never really let myself think, OK, I'm, you know, I'm going to win. I never imagined myself on top of the podium. So it was an amazing feeling and an amazing um, medal ceremony. And the steps of the Opera House at night, Ben Ainsley, Ian Percy. Oh, you know, great it was names, like, big names. Australia and Britain just dominated uh, those games and particularly that night. It was amazing. And I remember looking out at the audience and there's just, you know, Union Jacks everywhere and so many people that had helped. So after that, it was another four-year campaign, a change of boat. And this is when I first met you. I was working in sailing broadcasting and we were working with, with all of you, all of the Olympic team, while you were training. And I remember being so struck by how focused and professional you were you know, you come off the water and we'd say Shirley needs to do an interview and you'd be like yep I'll be there and you'd come you'd know exactly what you were going to say absolutely razor sharp and then back into training it was so impressive Shirley <laughs> um well thank you for saying that <laughs> I, I mean it was a bit of a weird time that like you win a gold medal and you just think oh well you think you're you know you're the best thing since sliced bread, don't you? There's definitely an element of that. And, and for the year after that gold medal as well, you're just telly, you're being painted gold on the Daily Mail. In the UK, we hardly won any gold medals. I think there was only myself and Denise Lewis. That was kind of it. So it was, you know, we were we were known. I decided there was a new Olympic class for Athens, which was three girls in a boat. And um, I'm like, well, what could be so hard? I won a gold medal before. Of course, I'm going <laughs> to nail it. And actually, it was it was the hardest thing in sailing that I, that I'd done. It was so difficult. The boat was complicated. We'd no history of it in the UK, so we'd no kind of go to technical knowledge. Working with a team, communicating. You guys were the original three blondes in a boat um, in a time when I think you know female athletes were talked about quite differently to how they would be now. How do you remember feeling about all of that kind of language around you guys and you were, you know, three gorgeous, but is it something you look back on and you go, ooh, not sure now? I mean, can you imagine? That was front page in the newspaper, you know, three blondes in a boat. I remember, I remember the image of you guys jumping off the side after you won the medal and I remember the headline, but we didn't think anything of it then. Now it's sort of dated. No, like the only thing they could say about us was about our hair colour. It's shocking, isn't it? It still happens. I guess I'm and you are probably quite aware when we see things or we hear things. It still goes on and sailing is, you know, is a long way from gender equality. Um, 
<laughs> that's one of the worst sports. I think that's one thing I'd like to highlight having worked in sailing is that I think women in sailing have to work three times as hard as the men, not just on the boat, but off the boat to be taken seriously. And that's something you have been a huge part of. I, I don't know if I have. I Yeah, I often feel I could have done more or said more or stood up, you know, to people. Even if I've been on a, on a boat with a big crew, normally they're all men. You know, why don't I raise my hand and say, what the hell are you doing? Why is this? <laughs> how is this acceptable? I mean, sailing is changing. It's not as bad as it was. There is a better awareness. You more recently, speaking of women sailing, have just completed round Britain and Ireland, which is an awfully long way, double-handed, uh, with Dikafari, another really inspiring female sailor. How was that? It's such a long way, Harriet. <laughs> Oh my God! I like no idea. I mean, I am Scottish. <laughs> There's a lot of Scotland past where my mum lives. Around Britain and Ireland was 15 days and nights, Ooh. and I had terrible sleep deprivation. So imagining from night three, I was hallucinating, imagining voices like I could hear, like the radio Not was good on. Good when you're at sea on a offshore racing boat I've never had sleep deprivation <sighs> like that it's extraordinary and it's very cold up around Shetland also I, I was I was miserable <laughs> well every time I interview someone for the podcast I always go and ask someone else what it is that makes my interviewee so special and so unique and actually Dee was the obvious person to ask because she'd been <laughs> stuck on a boat with you for 15 days and nights and she was she was so sweet. She said she was completely in awe of you when, when the idea first started, which I can imagine. And she said, Shirley is unbelievably conscientious. Nothing is too small to be overlooked and every detail goes onto a list. She finds all the answers possible from all her experience. It is incredible to watch the process and I learned a lot. She strives for perfection and everything that happens along the way must help move that objective forwards. Does that best describe you, do you think? Yeah, I, I just sound really annoying. <laughs> sound, <laughs> detail focused, very driven. No, but this is this is what makes you you, right? I think this is what this is what makes it work. I like to stack the odds. So if I'm if I'm inshore racing, I mean, I just want to make sure that the boat's going as fast as it can, that it's well prepared, that we're well practiced for every eventuality. So I, I, I like to feel like I've done more than everyone else and I'm better prepared and I'm faster. Now that sort of focus, does that play into your home life as well? Is that something your children will listen to and go, yep, that's mum? It's a bit chaotic at home. <laughs> <laughs> probably, yeah, probably not. They've not seen that. Although interestingly, my son helped us a lot in the boat last year. He was, you know, old enough and enthusiastic. So he saw a little bit about of that and learned a lot of lessons from Dee, so I, I don't think he'll ever forget that year. Well, let's go back then to life before living on the Isle of Wight. I've done some digging into your very early years. You were born in 1968 in Dundee, raised in Scotland, and you started sailing, as we might imagine, on a lock. What was, what was that like? What was your childhood like? I were not a sailing family and grew up right in the middle of Scotland, uh, near Stirling. I mean, I opened my curtain in the morning and I saw a giant big hill. You know, there's no lovely sea view like I have now. But my dad had done his national service in the Navy and had been introduced to sailing, as was the rage 
in the 1970s. He built a kit boat. I mean, it was DIY mad, wasn't it? He built a kit boat in the garage, a mirror miracle. So it was promoted by the newspaper, The Mirror. So that was a, that's quite a small sailing dinghy that he was building. Yeah, it's tiny. It's like three, four metres. Really, really small. But I was so excited. You know, I'm seven or eight years old and there's this, there's this thing coming together in the garage. And when I go home now, I can still see the line of resin on the floor quite a lot of years later. <laughs> and after that, we were both really quite hooked we loved it and we joined a, a local club called Loch Ard in the Trossachs beautiful tree-lined loch you know deep water I instantly loved it I mean I guess times were different as well I mean there wasn't a, a million things to do yeah less distractions yeah and we have a favorite childhood book in common Swallows and Amazons was it like Swallows and Amazons a bit you know sausage sizzles on the island and, and all of that and gradually getting more I go back now it all seems quite small but obviously my memory is that it was quite a big bit of water and quite scary at times. Did you do uni or did you skip that because you were sailing? I did uni. Um, I went to Harriet Watt now. So yeah, based in Edinburgh, but a lot of driving. I mean, most weekends down to Weymouth or Rutland. It's uh, quite so a drive. <laughs> I've racked up a few miles. When did it become apparent that actually, you know, sailing was something you were extraordinarily good at and should be concentrating on more? No, I never felt I was extraordinarily good at it. I mean, I always felt <laughs> I'm quite tenacious, I guess. And as, as Dee pointed out, you know, I'd like, I like to work on the detail of it all. So I like to get better. I mean, I still feel like that about sailing. It's not always about the winning. It's just about doing it better than I did it before. At that time, they just introduced a single-handed medal for the 92 Olympics in Barcelona. And I was still at college and trying to decide what to do afterwards. And I did, I did enroll for a master's and I went for the first week and I thought, what am I doing? But there was, there was no sort of role models. You know, I guess up till then, most of the sailors had been more or less amateur. You'd had to pay for it somehow. So you were either in the navy or you work. There was there was no kind of full time option. I didn't really know what to do. But in the end, I realised actually I do want to go to the Olympics. And and I just walked out of college. I did a week, and that was it. Two gold medals later, you then had a bit of a pivot. And I mean, now you've been described as one of sailing's most eloquent athletes. So the move into broadcasting which I kind of watched happening as well and you could see straight away how good at it you were because you love sailing and you're brilliant at talking about it but how did all of that come about how did you make that transition into broadcasting I'd been involved in a few sort of sailing video kind of things you know learn to learn to sail that kind of thing and, and so I was interested and I'm quite nosy a bit like you you know <laughs> I, that's why I'm much happier asking I'm dying to ask you questions Harriet this is this we'll is do, so we'll hard we'll do a reverse podcast at some point yes yes we'll, we'll make that happen um I got the opportunity to do a year at BBC South as kind of a, a training year which was amazing I mean obviously at the BBC you've can do everything radio lives twice a day you're you know you're in the it's studio trying to do training stuff. ground yeah yeah you got to turn stuff around really quickly I mean yeah. you worked in news that's not necessarily my thing turning things around so quickly but it was brilliant and got help with you know script writing and well, I, I did come a little bit unstuck when it came to cricket season because I just didn't really I didn't really get it yeah. and and they were still playing we're about to go we're about to go on air and I'm like, oh my god you know? so people would write in and complain about my, my cricket language from then actually quite quickly got a job at CNN which I was there for 13 years 
and it was such a joy. You know, in the beginning, I was still sailing a lot, so I, I'd I'd kind of turn up and just you know, do what I had to do. But latterly, I was much more involved in putting the whole thing together, producing it. You know, the storytelling, what we did and where we went. Sailing is is very rich in character and story and in imagination and emotion, and I loved bringing that to life I really miss it you did 150 editions of CNN mainsail which if people haven't seen it it's a half hour kind of like a, a documentary current affairs show about sailing and always in a different place all over the world I mean that must have been a head spinningly crazy busy time for you in the early years you know I wasn't so involved in putting it putting it together I, I'd sort of turn up and I'd be given uh, you know, 10 pieces to camera and I'd do a few interviews and that was it which is really boring way to do television. Um, I mean, I love, I love the thing about telly that you know, it, it done well. It's a real team sport, and you know, you all have to work really well together, and you know, to produce something exquisite. And I and I love that, and particularly in a live, and nothing feels like a team sport more than Absolutely. you know, live television. Yeah. Um, but yeah, more laterally with mainsail. Yeah, I mean, it just, if it interested us, it was always a good programme. You know, we went, I competed in the land yachting worlds in the Nevada desert. I remember that. We episode. stayed in a Winnebago <laughs> and everything. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the best day, you know, the best week sailing I, I think I've ever had, you know, 100 kilometres an hour in the Nevada desert. It was so good. And the people, of course, are so passionate and into it. And they spend all winter in the snow somewhere in North America, you know, building an incredible, you know, sailing boat and, and, and off we go. So, you know, big yachts, super yachts, or obviously things like the Olympics or lots of variety, which is, which is really a blessing, I think. And you get to go backstage, don't you? You get to go and see all the things that the fans don't get to see and kind of just open the curtain a little bit because it's quite secret sometimes sailing as a sport. Yeah, oh, we had an amazing access. In part, I guess CNN is, was a good brand and the people want to be on it. Uh, but also I did it for quite a long time and also a lot of sailors just thought I was one of them. So Yeah, and <laughs> I think a... that's been... that's And we've seen it with lots of sports, haven't we? A sort of your generation of medalists becoming commentators and actually how it really does lift the coverage of the sport when it's a, someone who's a talented broadcaster and talented at that particular sport. It's just a perfect combination. Sometimes, although often it's hard. I, I think the Olympics is difficult because you've so much empathy I mean I completely know what they're feeling and it's such an emotional roller coaster it, it's it you have to kind of have a word with yourself uh, I think to be you know slightly and you've been a BBC Olympic commentator so and I just have this image of you bobbing around on a rear bout you know on a course somewhere just getting so excited and so emotional you can see how much empathy you feel with those sailors yeah so so there's a balance I mean I've I guess there's a bit of a trend in sports broadcasting where the commentators are like fully kind of into it. I don't know. I think you just, you need to you know step back. I mean, I've done every Olympics since I stopped for the BBC. I mean, I, I really think that's such a, a privilege. You are there at the most important moment of these athletes' life. And I feel that it's particularly, you know, in sailing, we don't get a lot of coverage, particularly that kind of sailing. And I feel this huge responsibility to make the most of their moment, win or lose, and to tell their story really well. 
And also it's in competitive now because Britain wins a lot of medals. So we're competing for airtime with Tom Daly or whoever, whoever it is. So I'm, I'm trying to bring this whole thing alive also to an audience which doesn't normally watch sailing. So it's, it's a privilege. I, I love it and very much hope I'm, I'm still there for Paris. Speaking of broadcasting, um, your podcast series, Shirley Robertson's Sailing Podcast, is huge. Absolutely huge. I couldn't, I mean... I, know, I don't know how many listeners you have, but everyone talks about it. I think everyone in the sport of sailing listens to it. And you have interviewed all of the big names, as far as I can see. I mean, how have you done that? Well, hopefully not all of them. <laughs> you need to have some left, yeah. <laughs> hopefully there's some left. Yeah, it started, uh, the Rolex-sponsored CNN mainsail, and they pulled out, they went into F1. And so it sort of left a massive hole and and we really felt, well, we've got this incredible trust and let's do something with that. And both Tim, my partner who produces it, is a cameraman, you know, he's avid podcast listener. And so we love the concept of it. I love the intimacy of it. I love the way, well, you know, in television, you're always wishing for a short answer, aren't you? <laughs> like, please stop talking so I can... <laughs> yeah, and your podcast yeah. is the opposite. The episodes are really long. They're really long. And we started off, they weren't, they were like 45 minutes with one person, but quite often they've such a lot to talk about. And I wanted it to be this lovely archive of our sport. So um, if you haven't listened to it, listeners, and you're into sailing, it's not too techy, I promise. <laughs> it's more just about the, the life, really, of It's a really relaxed. Listen, I find it's really yeah. chilled. And I noticed as I listened through some of the episodes that at the beginning you have this wonderful kind of audio mix of voices from on the water. And when I first listened to it, I went, Ooh, it's all men. And then very quickly that was corrected. Was that a conversation that you and Tim had where you thought, Oh, actually, hang on a minute. We're... Harriet's not... good, isn't she? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Sorry. You could tell you were a good journalist. That, that's a very good spot. I'm delighted that you spotted that. Actually, it was very hard to get audio of women <laughs> racing. That was really quite difficult. And we hunted around for that and eventually got some from SCA, which was a, a Volvo Ocean Race team. But it, not easy to get. And yes... And I would like to have more women. I was going to say podcast. more guests, and it's something Alex and I have been really strict about with Island Stories that we have fifty-fifty guests, yeah. and we thought it'd be hard to find you know women who'd be up for doing it. But actually, I think some of our very best guests, including you, have been women. <laughs> so we're delighted about that. I just want to ask you, what's next? Do you ever feel a calling back to get that third gold medal, or are you are you done with the Olympics? Well, I had a little bit of a midlife crisis. There was a period of time where double-handed offshore sailing was going to be in for the Paris Olympics. So that's kind of what got me got me back in. Oh, interesting. Uh, so and the bug then, is still there. Well, then in, in the end, it was it didn't get past uh, the IOC and it, it got dropped. But that, that hooked me back into that. I'm very much still into sailing. I mean, there was a period of time where I really wasn't, but the double-handed offshore sailing has got my mojo for it back. Uh, so hopefully I'll do more offshore sailing. Uh, and also this season, I'm going to campaign a classic six metre. The worlds are in cows, so they're going to be around. Amazing. And um, that'll be something great for people to go and watch as well, because the classic boat series is just stunning. It is good. And it's, I mean, even last summer in cows, it was extraordinary. Every day I opened my curtains as a new fleet of boats arrived. It's there's a great energy around cows at the moment and sailing and the squadron and uh, 
Rourke as well doing more and more from cows. So it's, it's a big exciting. industry for this island, isn't it? I think people dismiss it sometimes. It, it's a huge part of our sort of economic outlook on the island is in yachting as an industry. Yes, I mean it's it's critical, really, not just in terms of you know bringing vis- uh, visitors in, but also you know the marine sector generally. It's it's a high level also. So, you know, all my race boats have been, you know, worked on here. There's a great pool of of marine talent, and that's something we should we should really nurture and celebrate. Well, there's good opportunities there for island kids. Definitely something for them to think about. We've got one final bit of the podcast, which is the quickfire round of five things about the islands. Number one, favourite place to grab a bite to eat? Well, I live in cows. And I know this is a little bit dull. I bet a, a lot of people <laughs> say this, but I, I love coast uh, in cows. First one? First one for coast? Am yeah. I the first one? Yeah, I'm, I'm going there tomorrow to meet someone for brunch. So, uh, yeah, real favourite. There's always a, a warm reception, even on a, a rainy Tuesday night in January. It's full of people. It's great fun, lovely wine. And it's, it's an important part of the coast community. Good people watching as well in the summer, sitting outside. Uh, number two, your favourite beach on the island. This is tricky because one of the beauties of the island is there's lots of different kinds of beaches, all facing different angles. So whatever the yes, whatever direction true. the wind's blowing, you can get sheltered or Agreed, or whatever waves, stage or... of the sun. Uh, so I, I love the variety of the island. But going to have I, to press you for one answer. I know. I'm going to pick. <laughs> I'm going to pick Totland because. Oh. We only ever go there on a last minute decision at three in the afternoon. We're like, oh, come on, stop doing that. Let's go. And we pack up the van for the stuff and we go there and we stay till it's dark. And it feels just like an amazing escape. It's, you know, you get the very last of the sun. You've dinner on the beach. Lovely. The lovely taste. I'm a big swimmer. The taste of the water there. It feels like really it's the ocean. Um, so big fan, big fan of West White. Sorry, I know we're currently <laughs> no, no. in Sea View. <laughs> big fan of, of, of West White, and that feels those evenings are always just kind of grabbed and impromptu. But really we're sitting special. here recording in the middle of winter. You are making me very excited about <laughs> summer coming up this year. Number three, your number one island activity. <laughs> Well, I, I'm sort of slightly embarrassed to say this because everybody does swimming in the sea now. But I, I do <laughs> proper head in swimming. Well, in the middle of winter? Yes. Crazy person. All year. Last year I did all year. Uh, this year I had my appendix out, so I have missed a little bit of time. But yeah, I love it. Um, I love the feeling of the water. Um, it's I, quite I difficult to get into it. midway through the winter though isn't yes, it? yes that is a problem with the appendicitis very hard to get back in after that I wouldn't recommend if you're going to start start in sort of end of May, June and then just keep going work um, your way through the temperatures yeah. and number four which island charity is closest to your heart? I am going to say well, there's many isn't there there's obviously the Alma MacArthur Cancer Trust who I'm involved in but I'm going to say UKSA because I first I first came to the Isle of Wight, I was fifteen, and then it was um, it was the British training place for sailing. So I have great memories of going there myself. But also now, 
the amount of good work the UKSA does in all different kinds of areas is is incredible. I mean, thousands and thousands of children come there. And if you go in the summer, the noise hmm. is infectious of kids just having the best time. Because people probably think of it as just a sailing school, but it's actually a charity as well. The the UKSA Sea Trust, I think it's called. Yes, it's, it's all kind of things. People go there to, you know, learn how to be an engineer on a super yacht but they also can go and it might be the first time they see the sea I mean certainly the first time they've been in it and they do a lot of a lot of great work they've massive ambition uh, and I'm yeah I hope they do well and you're one of their patrons so that's great I guess yes and uh, number five hidden gem somewhere off the beaten track people might not know about well people know about everything on the island don't they there's I no secret I think you'd be surprised um, to, I love to swim along freshwater and look in all the caves and that's really See, I've special. never done that I've, I've read about it but I've never done it and I'm definitely I want to go on a paddleboard or yes well maybe maybe paddleboard first but it's it's extraordinary in the water there it's just you know tastes of the ocean it's slightly colder than in the Solent and it, it just it's so fresh it's it's very special swimming at freshwater well that's a lovely way to end our podcast Shirley thank you so much thank you for taking the time um, it's really been amazing to hear your island story if you want more island news sign up for my weekly email newsletter 5-stories.co.uk I'm Harriet Hadfield my producer is Alex Warren You'll find us on Instagram at Island Stories Podcast. This season, the podcast is going fortnightly, so we'll have another episode for you in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye.